Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third session of our second seminar on Rumi. We are going to offer once again another round of that spiritual wine of Rumi, or better to say of Shams Tabrizi, who was the master of Rumi. Actually, Shams, in his discourses, I told you that uh, Shams has a collection of sayings which is called Discourses of Shams, which are just uh, uh, jutting, was jutting down of quickly in what he said in the gatherings they had with his students. And once he says in one passage that I was a vat of divine wine I was a vat of divine wine the opening of which was covered and sealed and hidden from all and it was only Rumi who unveiled it uncovered it removed the cover and if and passed it round to everybody so uh, this is what actually Rumi did he is he both drank the wine himself and passed it round to all who was thirsty of that particular wine. Now, this is a wine which is at the center of Rumi's teachings, at the center of Rumi's philosophy, mystical ideas, and cosmology, or his, his everything. Because according to Rumi, the story of creation is this, that God is just a point, just one dot. They call him dot because he is simple, indivisible, his absolute unity. You may call this chair one, but this is not truly one because it, is, uh, it has so many parts and it is consisted of so many of billions of smaller particles. But that absolute unity, it is absolutely indivisible. So that is, they, they compare him to a dot, or sometimes call it the mole, or the dot, the beauty spot on the face of the beloved. When they speak of that mole, it means uh, that uh, state of simplicity when God had not manifested himself is just one dot and in that state he is not even called he has got no name just a dot so that dot when it turned round it is all dot but it created a circle and this circle is creation so this is Allah this is who, 
This is hidden. No one knows anything about him. But Allah is manifestation of all attributes. He is the one which is everything. Here he is the one which is hidden. He is here is the one which is everything. So this one, the same story is in man. The essence of man is a dot. We are just a dot, which is called Soveida, means a very small black dot, a very small black point, Soveida. And sometimes we call it Serre Soveida, means the secret of that black, tiny little black point. And which is uh, considered to be, I mean, which is taught to be in the heart. So we are of the same nature with God. We are simple, we are indivisible, but at the same time, we are a circle. And that circle is the same circle as Allah. So when you become a perfect man, then you, the two circles, coincide and cover each other. I mean, one is the same as the other. So this self which we call ourselves, we call ourselves somebody, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so. This is our self. This is but a very little tiny part of us. We call it persona in the words of Jung, Carl Jung. What is person? Person is a mask. We are persons because we are a mask. We are hiding behind this person. There is somebody else. So there is a veil between us and us, our true us, which is the circle, and our false self, false devilish self, which is just a small, tiny little bit of us. And this is the veil of this. So what is wine? Wine is to remove this uh, they between us and us. As Christina Rossetti also refers in one of her poems, that uh, God hardened me against myself. This coward with pathetic voice that craves for ease and rest and uh, my arch enemy, my hallowest, my my Hollow, my hollowest friend, mm -hmm. my deadliest foe, and it is only God who can save me from this self and uh, make me set me free and roll the this burden over from all them over my shoulder and set me free. So it's exactly we will read in Rumi. Uh, he is praying to God, "Oh, save us from us." Save us from this 
a devil which claims to be us, which is not us. He is not us. He is the one who, has, who, who is separating us from each other. Because when we come to that circle, we are all one. We are all one circle. And everything is in this same circle. All prophets are in this circle. According to Rumi as well as Muhyiddin. Of course, Rumi is after Muhyiddin, but, and he might have been influenced by his ideas. But uh, they have the same opinion about, I mean, the same idea about uh, the prophets. From Adam up to Muhammad. Uh, Rumi says that every prophet is just with stage of us. As a human being, you have different stages. At one stage, you are Job. At another stage, you are Joseph. From another respect, point of view, you are Abraham. You are everything. You are the Gabriel. You are uh, the devil. It is, there is a very nice story in Maghalat Shams in the discourses of Rumi that somebody, uh, they, they had a gathering and they were discussing about uh, divine subjects and they were meditating. Somebody came to Shams and said, well, who is this Iblis after all? He said, it is you. Why do you mention his name? If you were not Iblis, you wouldn't think of him. So when you are thinking of Iblis, you are Iblis. Rumi says, you are what you are thinking. The moment you are thinking about flowers, you are flowers. The moment you are thinking about uh, Joseph, you are Joseph. You see? So, um, uh, the moment you think about the, the whole, you are the whole. If you think about something, you are that something. So, everything is in man. And you will find, you, will, you are having a journey in your own being. And everything outside is inside. All the gardens are actually inside. And the paradise is inside you. The hell is inside you. It's because uh, God, when he created the world, uh, he wanted a being who reflect his whole being, not a part, not just one attribute. Because angels could not reflect his face because they were too transparent and the light went through. They were too transparent. And uh, there were other beings who were too opaque. They just absorbed the light and they didn't reflect it. So man is, uh, was made of two contrasting uh, substances. Uh, purity and impurity. Plurality and oneness. Unity and uh, multitude. Man was made of the two. Because matter is plurality. It is crystallized plurality. It is... And soul is unity. So, a man was made of plurality 
and unity. Like a mirror, a mirror on one side it is covered, it's black. On the other side it is shining. So this combination of two contrasting substances is the essence of man, the nature of man. Uh, you know this uh, famous poem by Alexander Pope that he is darkly uh, uh, know then thyself presume not God to scan and the proper study of mankind is man placed in this isthmus of middle state mm -hmm. created have to rise and have to fall a being darkly wise and rudely great, the sole judge of truth in endless error held, and uh, created to reason, reasoning but to err, born but to die, the glory, the jest, and the riddle of creation. This is exactly what Rumi has in one of the chapters I will read for you later. So, now you see that this, the role of, uh, the role of this wine, which is sometimes beauty, this wine has different manifestations, different uh, names actually. It is sometimes the wine of beauty, it is sometimes considered to be knowledge. You know something. This intoxication comes from knowing, from a news. You get a news that makes you careless of all other news. And then you are intoxicated. It's such great news. It is sometimes uh, considered to be uh, joy. It is uh, a vision, but they are all the same. So, this uh, one single point from unity, which is absolute unity, comes down up to here and becomes absolute multiplicity. This is the lowest of the lowest. The world is divided into two parts, the highest of the highest and the lowest of the lowest. Here is the paradise, here is the hell. So, Asphal is and here is A'la Eliyin. And man, according to the Quran, and Rumi refers to that, God created man here, and he breathed of his own unity in him. And that is why we are, despite all distractions, despite all uh, multiplicity, thousands of desires, thousands of parts, thousands of attachment, but we are one. You cannot detach yourself from that oneness. You are one, at any rate. And that is a reflection of the oneness of God. So, from this oneness, we come down to multiplicity and the story of uh, 
human ascension or mi'raj or you could say uh, returning returning journey is from multiplicity to unity you see so and that's the story of all arts all arts start from unity and come to multiplicity to the audience when you hear the music it is in absolute multiplicity thousands of notes and frequencies and rhythm it comes down from one he is thinking of one he has one feeling about something and then it is uh, crystallized into multiplicity and then it comes to your ear and then it goes back to your soul you see there is a constant traffic between matter and soul between multiplicity and unity so everything that wants to come back to unity must leave aside all multiplicity must be one you should forget all multiplicity before you can go to God even yourself because if you think of yourself it's multiplicity so this traffic is in all arts it comes to the audience but the audience it goes into the your ears into the cavity of your ears according to Rumi mm-hmm. and then from here it goes back to this unity and you say oh I enjoyed it you start shedding tears it reminds you of the time of unity mm-hmm. when you were one it, it is it is not even recollection of the time of unity it is recreation of the time of unity mm-hmm. which is more important than recollection mm-hmm. so and everything which is good it is good because of its unity and everything which is devil devilish or evil it is because of the multiplicity so the farther you get from multiplicity the nearer you get to God there is a saying the farther from the nearer to the church the farther from God because church is a symbol of multiplicity has turned in the course of time like a mosque because they have made it so uh, multiple that uh, there is everything in it except God it it doesn't mean true mosque it's a symbol of multiplicity so Uh, I also mentioned that uh, science also starts from one and comes back to one. This is this, this, the circle of creation, whether in, in uh, the great universe or in uh, artistic creation. And even an artist, when he is not one, When he is not one, he just learns the techniques because he doesn't have the one, he has the multiplicity. So he makes you multiple. When you listen to his music, you, you may even appreciate that he was playing very skillfully and uh, he is virtuoso or something like that, I don't know. But uh, you don't have that pure joy of unity. It doesn't give you that single one news which is divine. It doesn't make you intoxicated. 
So, in this play of creation, all have their own parts. The devil is as good as the angel because they play some role in the creation. And God is very jealous if you just try to depreciate one of his beings. Say, who is this Satan? Who is this Iblis? Or who is that? See, all are serving their purpose. And uh, if you look back into yourself, you will see that they are a part of you. That even the death angel, Rumi says, who is death angel? People are afraid of death angel. They say, Israel. You know, in Persian, uh, when they want to say somebody is very ugly, they say he is like Israel, death angel. While Rumi said this angel might be very beautiful because it is the reflection of your own inner being. You look yourself in the mirror and you see yourself. Sometimes you, with so much enjoyment, with so much ecstasy, and sometimes you are afraid of yourself. When, like the picture of Dorian Gray, you, you see, it gets so ugly that you can't even look at yourself. You just hide your picture in, in the cellar. And uh, you put it in a box and lock it. And that's what people do. They are afraid of looking at themselves. And at the time of death, they are forced to see themselves. So that is why Rumi says... It is your face which is ugly, not death. So you have to go back to yourself at every moment and find everything in yourself. And so this, Rumi says the story of old prophets, the story of uh, the higher heavens, the angels, Harut and Marut, they were two angels. And uh, whatever has been mentioned in the Quran is just one stage of your being. And uh, uh, you have to interpret the Quran in your own case. Don't think that it is about Muhammad. Don't think that he is uh, uh, at the, the one who has been addressed is Muhammad. You are being addressed. He is calling to you. Not to Muhammad, because Muhammad was uh, just uh, a messenger. Mm. Now, we are going to read a part about uh, Iblis, or uh, Satan, or the devil, uh, who is defending himself. There is the story that once the devil uh, came to the palace of one of the caliphs, uh, and... Uh, woke him up and he said who are you waking me up he said I am Iblis I am the devil he said so why did you wake me up he said because it is a time of prayer it is better that you go and say your prayers the man became very surprised and said you are calling me to prayer to God and you have been all the time your job is different mm-hmm. it is not your job to do that mm-hmm. and then here Satan I mean uh, Iblis is defending himself that I am not like that. And he is telling his story what happened to him. And he is 
just claiming that I accepted to play the hardest role in creation. Because no one, no one would accept it to be cursed by all. I said, well, yes, I love you. Whatever role you give me, I would play it. Even if it is the role of being cursed by all. So, uh, will you read from here, please? Yes, indeed. How Iblis again made answer to Muawiyah. He said, at first, I was an angel. I traversed the way of obedience to God with all my soul. I was the confidant of them that follow the path of devotion. I was familiar with them that dwell by the throne of God. How should one's first calling go out of one's mind? How should one's first love go forth from one's heart? If in travel you see Anatolia or Khotan, how should love of your own country go from your heart? I too have been one of those drunken with this wine. I have been a lover at his court. They cut my navel in that is to say, predestined me from birth to love of him. They sowed love of him in my heart. I have no, seen... No, that is why um, some mystics like Mohyeddin or Einul Ghazat, they believe that uh, to some, in some respects, Iblis is above all. And he is the one who was a true lover because he did not want when he was ordered to prostrate before man he said I won't do that and uh, because I just prostrate before one I have one beloved I won't serve man I have seen good days from fortune I have drunk the water of divine mercy in my springtime was it not the hand of his bounty that sowed me? Was it not he that raised me up from non-existence? Yes, I didn't create myself. Mm. Yes, he is. Oh, many is the time I have received kindness from him and walked in the rose garden of his approval. He would lay the hand of mercy on my head. He would open and let flow from me the fountains of grace. Who found milk for me in the season of my infancy? Who rocked my cradle? He. From whom did I drink milk other than his milk? Who nourished me except his providence? The disposition which has entered with the milk into their being, how can it be discharged from folk? If the sea of bounty has given me a rebuke, yet how have the doors of bounty been shut? Giving and grace and favor are the fundamental substance of his coin. Wrath is only a speck of alloy in it. Yes, you see, he is referring to one very important fact. Uh, that... Uh, the essence of God is all goodness. And uh, he has no wrath. He has no... Nothing, no vicious attribute. It's all good. And so, since he has been kind to me, at first, so the precedent 
is kindness and love. That's the precedent. So, now this curse comes after. Right? This curse and this wrath against me, this is what Iblis is arguing. That he was, for a time, he was kind to me. And uh, he loved me, he created me, he nourished me. So, he was kind and loving to me. Now, he has cursed me and rejected me. So this rejection and curse is some accident. It is, it is something that happened later. Don't trust those things which happen later. Trust those things which are before, because this is essential. This is accidental. This is substantial in God. And this is something accidental. It just happened, and anything which is accidental um, passes by after a time like most loves among human beings. You know, uh, there is a saying that, uh, I think it's a poem, that when you fall in love, it is your most wonderful two and a half days of your life. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't last long. Mm -hmm. Because it is accidental, it is not essential. Anything which is accidental, it comes and goes. So, Iblis, or devil is arguing that this curse is an accident and accidents pass away. They are not essential to remain with me. And this is what Hafiz also refers to and Rumi again and again is reminding people that God who, cre who has created you is never against you and is always loving. Mm -hmm. If you feel that he is wrathful to you, it, it, it is because of some accident. Mm -hmm. You have to change some accident and then he would be loving again. <laughs> and everything would come back to the precedent. And that is why no one will remain in the hell, mm -hmm. finally. Because the precedent is love and paradise. There was no hell in the beginning. Hell was later created, but God was all goodness. He made the world for kindness sake. His son caressed the motes and its beams. If separation from him is big with his wrath, tis for the sake of knowing the worth of union with him, so that separation from him may give the soul chastisement and that the soul may know the value, the value of the days of union. You see, here it is no longer the story of devil. He's talking to you, Rumi, that uh, if uh, you are in a state of separation now and you don't feel like being united with your creator, it is because uh, uh, if there was no separation, you wouldn't appreciate union. So he has just sent you for a time, for a very short time, in separation, so that you could appreciate the time you are with him. The prophet has declared that God said, My purpose in creating was to do good. I created to the intent that my creatures might draw some gain from me, and that they might smear their hands with my honey, not to the end that I might draw some gain from them, 
and that I might tear off a coat from one who is naked. During the short while since he drove me from his presence, mine eye hath remained fixed upon his beauteous face. Great that my declining to worship Adam. The devil wants to say that uh, it's really wonderful. I can't believe my eyes that he got so wrathful because I couldn't expect him to do that. <laughs> See? Get so upset. Yes. Grant that my declining to worship Adam was from envy, yet that envy arises from love of God, not from denial of obedience to his command. Tis certain all envy arises from love for fear, lest another become the companion of the beloved. Brooding jealousy is the necessary consequence of love, just as saying, live long, must follow the sneeze. Since there was no play but this on his board, and he said, play, what more can I do? I played the one move that there was, and cast myself into woe. Even in woe I am tasting his delights. I am mated by him, mated by him, mated by him. Yes, mate'uyam, mate'uyam, mate'u. Dar balaham mitcheshem lazate'u. This second passage, which I have given also the Persian text, is from Magalat Molana, or uh, Discourses of Rumi, which is very near to some essays of English writers. Um, very insightful, at the same time very simple. Rumi is very simple, both in Masnavi as, and in discourses, because he knows exactly what, what he wants to say. And he says that if, if you exactly know what you want to say, there's no complicacy. Mm. Uh, complicacy often happens because you, you want to hide something or, or you, there are some ambiguity in your own mind. So it, it disturbs uh, the world of eloquence. Mm. Otherwise, it should come out like running water and clear and understandable. Actually, Rumi has been criticized for being too simple, and some intellectuals of the time uh, criticized him for being too simple. He said, well, there is nothing deep in him. Everybody can understand. Of course, unfortunately, now in Iran, few people can understand, not because Rumi is difficult, <laughs> it's because they don't have the culture the background. Uh, we are not going to read this part now. We will continue with Masnavi, but later we will read this part as well. So we will go to the uh, uh, second uh, passage. I mean, the second okay. is here. here. That's your original. That's yes. your original. Yeah. Philosophical doctrines and spiritual teaching. Your room. By love, bitter things become sweet. By love, pieces of copper become golden. You see, this is uh, one of the most famous passages in Masnavi, which is often sung by singers and uh, done in calligraphy by artists, uh, speaking all about what love can do, the alchemy of love. By love... Dregs become clear, 
By love, pains become healing. By love, the dead is made living. By love, the king is made a slave. This love, moreover, is the result of knowledge. Whoever sat in foolishness on such a throne? You see, he doesn't believe in blind love. He says that love comes out of consciousness, out of knowledge. You have to know something in order to love him. If you don't know it, you are just uh, blind. So it's, you, you have to love in full sight. So that, that, would, that love would remain and be constant. On what occasion did deficient knowledge give birth to this love? Deficient knowledge gives birth to love, but only love for that which is really lifeless. When it sees in a lifeless being the color of a desired one, it is as though it heard the voice of a beloved in a whistle. Yes, I don't know whether this poem is by John Suckling or not. He says that, oh, my dear, I have been loving you for three whole days. And if the weather is good, I'm going to love you for another three days. So this sort of love comes out of deficient knowledge. Full knowledge brings full love. Yes? Deficient knowledge cannot discriminate. Of necessity, it deems the lightning to be the sun. When the prophet called the deficient one accursed, his meaning, as interpreted, was deficiency of mind. This is what Pope also refers to, that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Mm. Drink deep or taste not the Priorian spring. <laughs> Because one whose body is deficient is the object of divine mercy, cursing and repulse, directed against the object of divine mercy, are improper. It is deficiency of mind that is the bad disease. It is the cause of God's curse and merits banishment from his presence. For as much as the perfecting of minds is not remote or impossible, but the perfecting of the body is not within our power. The miscreants and pharaoh-like pride of every infidel who is far from God have all been produced by deficiency of mind. Relief for bodily deficiency has come in the words of the Quran. It is no crime in the blind man. Yeah, this is a verse in the Quran, Laysa al-A'amaharaj, means a person who is blind, he is excused. Mm. Yes. Lightning is transient and very faithless. Without clearness of mind, you will not know the transient from the permanent. The lightning laughs. Say, at whom is it laughing? At him that sets his heart upon its light. You see, in Persian literature, they often uh, say that uh, this lightning laughs for one moment because it just looks like laughing, laughing of the cloud. So Rumi says it's laughing at you who have set your heart upon its light, because its light uh, is just one moment, it's transient life. So, there is difference between the light of lightning and the light of the sun. So, everything but God is just lightning. It is inconstant and would not stay long. The lights of the sky are hamstrung, 
feeble and imperfect. How are they like that light which is neither of the east nor of the west? Yes, again, again referring to a verse, a very famous verse in the Quran, that light is neither from east nor from west. And all the discussions of intellectuals about the culture of the east and the culture of the west, and now in Iran they speak about uh, cultural invasion, they say that they think that the western culture has invaded them. <laughs> well, because they don't know what culture is. Culture is the light of God. It is neither from east nor from west. It is corruption which is attacking and invading. It is not the culture. Culture is the light of God. Culture is summed up in three words of good, beauty, and truth. In whatever society you find these things, or in, in a person, he is a cultured person who is after truth, after beauty, and after the good. So, what is the difference between culture in the West or in the East? All the cultured people of the world are close friends with each other. Oh, it's only people who, with no culture who are fighting against each other and attacking each other's cultures. So it is because it is neither la sharqiya wala qarbiya. That light is neither from the east nor from the west. It is light upon light. Mm. And it comes from uh, oil tree. Oil tree, according to the verse in the Quran, oil Mm. Oil tree is a symbol of thinking. Mm. Because thinking, when you think, you actually lighten the uh, lamp of your mind. So um, it is blazing because of the oil tree, and that light comes out of the oil tree. The olive tree? Yes. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, olive. I, I, I made a mistake. Olive tree. Yes. Zaytun min shajaratin. Mubarakatin zaytuna. Allah nura samawat wal ars. The whole verse is like this. God is the light of heaven and earth. Masalun nurahi. The likeness of his light is like kamishkatin. Um, Mishkatin is a place where they put the light. A niche. A niche. Yes. Niche. Yeah. Yes. And then there is a, there is a lamp in, there in there is a lamp. And that this lamp is nourished by olive uh, oil. Mm. And then the light that comes out is neither from the east nor from the west. Yes. A certain man, when his beloved let him sit beside her, produced a letter and read it to her. In the letter were verses and praise and laud, lamentation and wretchedness and many humble entreaties. The beloved said... If this is for my sake, to read this at the time of our meeting is to waste one's life. I am here beside thee, and thou reading a letter. This, at any rate, is not the mark of true lovers. Yes. See, he is satirizing those people who claim to be a lover of God, but uh, it is quite clear that they are not a lover, because a lover wouldn't uh, recite a letter and wouldn't say those prayers or read those uh, books when he is in the presence of his beloved. <laughs> so he says that when you are in the presence of the beloved, what is this argument? For example, demonstrations, all philosophical demonstrations, 
When you are in the presence of the beloved, what do you need that for? You are in the house of your beloved, what is the address for? You don't need the address. So if a person who has got to the home of his sweetheart, and then he is just checking the address to see if it is right or not, or the number, or the asking some other people to check it. So it means that he is uh, not in the presence of his beloved, and he doesn't know about, it, about him. Yeah, okay. Our sightless beggar said, I have two blindnesses. There was a blind man who used to say, Pity, I have two blindnesses, O people of the time. Therefore, hark ye, show unto me twice as much compassion, since I have two blindnesses, and I live between them. It's a very funny beggar. He says that, show more mercy and more compassion to me because I have two sorts of blindnesses. And then you will see how it is. Someone said, we see one blindness of yours. Uh, What may the other blindness be? Explain. He answered, I have an ugly voice and unpleasing tones. Ugliness of voice and blindness are double blindness. My ugly cry becomes the source of annoyance. The people's love is lessened by my cry. Yes, my my voice frightens everyone away. They won't want to pay me any to give me anything. Whichsoever, whithersoever my ugly voice goes, it becomes the source of anger and annoyance and hatred. Double your compassion for these two blindnesses. Make room in your hearts for one who gets so little room. The ugliness of his voice was diminished by this plaint. The people became of one mind in showing compassion for him. When he had told the secret and explained its meaning, his voice was made beautiful by the graciousness of the voice of his heart. But that one whose heart's voice also is bad, for him those three blindnesses are banishment everlasting from the favor of God. Yes, you see there is a person who not only has not only blind, not only has a bad voice, but his heart is also uh, full of vicious desires and he is full of proud, maybe, and he is not ready to confess that his voice is no good, that he is blind. So, Rumi continues to say that uh, only a saint, a great saint, may... Uh, show compassion to such a person who has three kind, three sorts of blindnesses. Mm. And he is actually teaching that uh, you should uh, be compassionate to people according... He needs much more compassion. We are returning, returning here to some very important philosophical idea of Rumi. People's intellects differ in their original nature, though according to the Mu'tazilites, they are originally equal. And the difference in intellects arises from the acquisition of knowledge. You must hear and believe, in accordance with the Sunnis, that the difference in people's intellects was original, in contradiction to the doctrine of the Muqtazilites, who hold that all intellects were originally equal, and who maintain that experience and teaching makes them more or less, so that it makes one person more knowing than another. You see here... uh Rumi seems to be in contrast with what Descartes said in this course of method. You know, this Cours de la méthode by Descartes. He begins by the famous saying that uh, bon sens or uh, reason. Mm. 
has been divided equally between people. And he, it seems to be a joke, but he says that he is not joking, that uh, all people, because no, no person ever complains about his reason. All people may say that, well, I have a bad memory or I, have, I can't remember things, but never say that I, I have no reason. Mm -hmm. So Descartes says that it is because actually reason has been distributed equally between people. And that's why no one complains about his reason. So, I think that he is right in one sense, but Rumi in another sense. Uh, this is what uh, Mu'tazili, uh, in, in Islamic theology, in Islamic theology, uh, it is divided into two main, main groups, contrasting, each contradicting the other. The Ash'ari, Ash'ari and the Mu'tazilites. Mu'tazilites. Mm. So, these are, for example, believe in predestination. That everything is predestined by God and there is no free will. Mu'tazilites said, no, it is free will. They say that reason is the same. It is only through experience and through different methods of using reason that people, some people become more um, knowledgeable and some less. And it is not because some people have been born with better reason. That is what Mu'tazili say, say. But Rumi, uh, in, in a story that uh, there were a group of students who went to a teacher was very hard taskmaster and very harsh so they were so uh, annoyed and they they were thinking of uh, some way to get rid of him so one of them who was very intelligent and Rumi here says that this boy was more actually intelligent and could understand more and better than other students and it is not true that Mu'tazilit said all are equal in, in, in that respect. And he says that this uh, small child said, well, it is, I have thought of a very good idea. It's better that tomorrow when we go to the school, um, I enter first and I say, oh, good morning, you look a little bit pale and yellow. What is that? I hope nothing is wrong with you. And then there were 30 of them. So the second one would come on, and the third one, and the fourth one. So the first, he would say, well, no, it is okay, and the third and the second. But actually, in the end, he uh, feels that he is uh, sick, and he goes home. So it is in that story that Rumi is, is referring to the uh, unequality of uh, reason. How, I wonder, shall I behold my own face so as to see what complexion I have and whether I am like day or like night? Yes, all people want to know what they are. And they are looking for a mirror. And Rumi here says that I was looking for a mirror, not to see my eyes, but to see my soul. 
to see whether I'm dark or whether I'm bright, whether I'm an angel or whether I'm a devil. I wanted to see myself. For a long while I was seeking the image of my soul, but my image was not displayed by anyone. After all, I said, what is a mirror for? The use of it is this, that everyone may know what and who he is. The mirror of iron is only for husks, for external forms. The mirror that shows the aspect of the heart is a great price. The soul's mirror is naught but the face of the friend, the face of that friend who is of yonder country, the spiritual land. I said, O oh heart, seek the universal mirror, go to the sea. The business will not succeed. It will not be successfully accomplished by means of the river. By this quest, the slave at last arrived at thy dwelling place. As the pains of childbirth drew Mary to the palm tree, when thine eye became an eye for my heart, my blind heart went and became drowned in visions. See how very poetic it is that he sees his own image in the eye of a friend. And, and then he suspects, he doubts for a moment whether that image is just a fantasy or something real. And then he says that image in the eye started to speak to me and said, no, I am real, believe in me. Because I am in the eye of your friend, and your friend is a true friend. There is no place of fantasy and fancy here. You know, Rumi divides the world in fancy and truth, majaz and harigat. You see, this is the world of truth, and this is the world of fancy. Of course, fancy is just a shadow of the truth. Actually, Rumi says, Jesm saye, saye, saye delas. Our body, our body is a fancy. Fancy is not just a mental image for Rumi. He says that the body is the shadow of the shadow of the shadow of the soul. Soul is in the, from the world of reality, from the truth. And the body is just a fancy, is a fantasy. And then, uh, in another story, Rumi says that uh, Hajjaj, a famous person, uh, had used the marijuana and he had taken grass and then he had some hallucinations. And then he had reclined his head on the door and then he was crying, don't move the door, otherwise my head would fall off. Because he thought that his head uh, was just uh, there because of the door. He didn't know that his head belonged to himself. He had the hallucination that if they opened the door, then his head would fall. And he was crying and shouting, don't open the door, my head would fall off. And Rumi says that in this world, we have just used grass. And we think that if this body falls, we fall. We have nothing to do with this body. And we are shouting, don't, don't uh, attack me. They think that this body is uh, what is the reality. 
which is no reality, it is just a fantasy. When you open your eyes and see that it is nothing. Right? In this, uh, I saw that thou art the universal mirror unto everlasting. I saw my own image in thine eye. I said, at last I have found myself. In his eyes I have found the shining way. My false instinct said, beware. That image is only thy phantom. Distinguish thy essence from thy phantom. But my image gave voice from thine eye and said, I am thou and thou art I in perfect oneness. For how should a phantom find the way into this illumined eye which never ceases from contemplating the divine realities? Thou saidst, if you behold your image in the eyes of any other than me, know that tis a phantom and reprobate, because he, that is, every one except me, is applying to his eye the collarium of non-existence, of unreality. The collarium was used in in Iran, Sorme we call it, and they just uh, rubbed it. Yes, they rubbed it to their eyes so that they would see better. Mm. And Rumi says, um, um, "Give all your money and buy some Sorme, some, in order that you uh, enhance your uh, your sight Mm. and see where you are." It is imbibing the wine of Satan's illusion-making. Their eye is the home of fantasy and non-existence. Necessarily it sees as existent the things which are non-existent. But since my eye saw collarium from the glorious, from God, it is the home of real existence, not the home of fantasy. So long as a single hair of you is before your eye, your fantasy a pearl will be as jasper. Now hear the origin of their denial, whence it arose. It arose from the fact that the whole hath various parts. You see, this is again a very important point. That uh, How is it that people deny each other? How is it that people are against each other? One says that this is wrong and this is right. What is this denial? How a person dares to deny something outside himself. <laughs> so he says that there is a whole and there are some parts. These are some parts. Uh, so please read uh, yes. so that I will explain. Mm. The parts of the whole are not parts in relation to the whole. Yes, he is making a difference between uh, parts in relation to the whole. There is no difference. But parts in relation to each other. You see, the, these can deny each other. Because this is something that is something different. The parts n- not in relation to the whole, but just as a part of the whole. This is the world of denial. This is the world of fidelity and infidelity, faith and fidelity, mm-hmm. because uh, there is something to reject. 
Because this form is against this form. Why, if you just relate all the parts to the whole, so when there is a whole and there are parts, if, are, if the parts are in relation to each other, they deny each other. And they have to deny each other. Then Moses should deny Pharaoh. But when you just relate everything to the whole, then everything is holy, and in two sense is holy, is related to the whole, and everything is sacred. You know, uh, you know that uh, the Persian, the Persian scripture, I mean the Muslim scripture, which is Quran. If you want to touch it, you have to wash your hand in a, in a ritual way, which is called wuzu. And if you have, if you have not done that ritual, you are not allowed to put your finger on the words of the Quran, mm. right? So, I once was discussing with uh, one of uh, the fanatics who was insisting that yes, Abu Lahab, what is this mysticism you have brought and making everything related to God and making all equal? How do you say that? How is Abu Lahab the same as the other uh, good, uh, virtuous person? Mm. And then I got out uh, a copy of the Quran mm. and uh, I asked him, there is Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab is the most cursed person in the Quran. Mm. Yeah. And when, when we want to show highest respect to a thing, we say that we have to wash our hands and then touch it. Mm. So I asked him to touch Abu Lahab, the word Abu Lahab, which is in the Quran. Mm. He said, sorry, I, am, I, I don't have wuzu, I don't have the ritual. <laughs> so I said that you can't touch Abu Lahab when it is related to the Quran, <laughs> when it is a part of the Quran, because it is a word in the Quran, in the world of creation. You can't touch it. But if it is outside, you, you bring it outside of that relation to the whole. It is no longer a word, a Quranic word. It is a word in the book. Mm. If, if you find Abu Lahab in another book, you can touch it. Mm. But in the Quran you can't. Why? Because it is in relation to the whole. So when you consider people in relation to the whole, mm. all are respected. Mm. All, all life is respected, is saint and holy, because it is related to the whole. But when you are comparing them to each other, then they are different levels, different stages. So all discussion and denial comes from the parts, not the parts in relation to the whole, mm -hmm. but the parts as parts. Mm -hmm. right? uh, would you read from the beginning again? The, from, uh, Certainly now, the, now yes. hear the origin. Yes. And now hear the origin, yes. Now hear the origin of their denial, whence it arose. It arose from the fact that the whole hath various parts. The parts of the whole are not parts in relation to the whole. They are not like the scent of the rose, which is a part of the rose. The beauty of all green herbs is a part of the rose's beauty. The coo of the turtle dove is a part of the, that nightingale. If I became occupied with a difficulty, a difficult question, there is one point here I want to make, mm -hmm. that uh, how is it that uh, the voice of 
for example, a, to- uh, a, um, a singing bird is a part of nightingale. What does that mean? Rumi believes that uh, since there is a source of beauty, the one which is more perfect, for example, the nightingale, sings better than other birds. So, and the bird, the song of all birds is incorporated, is within the song of the nightingale. Right? So he says that uh, in everything you have to refer to the original and to the most perfect. Mm. And that, even a perfect man, Rumi said that if you see a perfect man, you have seen everybody. If you see an artist, you have seen his works. If you truly see him, look deep into his eyes and you will see the beauty of the gazelle and the beauty of the sky and all the paintings he wants to make and all the music he is going to play. If you can feel in his presence, then you know him. And uh, I had a discussion with some intellectuals in about Hafez, that uh, they were discussing about Hafez and then every moment they took out something out of their pocket and then they referred to that, yes, Hafez was like this, Hafez was like that. I said, how do you say that I know Hafez? Mm. When you know a person, you know your child, if somebody asks, what is, how is your child? You wouldn't just look to your book and say, you know you have been living with him. You know everything about him. Mm. There is a joke that uh, it's again in uh, that uh, somebody had gone to a city and he saw that uh, a muazzin, a caller, who is calling Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, and calling people to prayer uh, from the minaret. He has uh, a piece of paper and he is reading <laughs> from uh, the paper, and he was very surprised that. What is this city? There is not, not a single person in the whole city who knows the Azan by heart. It's just a few words. It's not too much. And then he said, it's better that I go into the mosque and ask the uh, mullah in the house and the sheikh. And then he came in and uh, he said, uh, good morning. And then uh, the mullah brought out a piece of paper from under his table and said and good morning to you <laughs> he didn't know how should he should answer he couldn't uh, everything from the paper so when it comes to the world of uh, knowledge true knowledge which we call intuitive knowledge if you know an artist you know his uh, his works of art even better than the works because uh, Rumi says that uh, when a for example, a player uh, of uh, a player of uh, a flute or reed, for example, it has nine, only nine, or sometimes six uh, holes. He says this can cannot show the artist more than nine small holes. You cannot show the artist completely, but you can know the artist. And then, when you know the cause, the effect, cause and effect. The effect is not the whole of cause, but the cause is the whole of effect. 
So if you know the cause, you know everything about the effect. But if you know the effect, you know part, or maybe you may, it may also mislead you sometimes. Because according to Plato, if you have two different bodies, a sphere, when light, when they throw shadows on the wall, they would all shadow like this, exactly the same while there are different things. So this is the effect, and this is the cause. So Rumi says that you have to go to the cause. If you want to know God, go to God, not to his signs, not to the effects. Uh, as philosophers try to say, well, this tree, so who has created this tree, so we need uh, a God. Mm -hmm. See, go to the origin of existence, look at the world. And once I asked my father uh, whether God can be seen or not, uh, he said, yes, he can be seen. And I said, how? He said, just close your eyes and then open it. When you open it, the first thing you see is God. And the second thing you see is the, the, is the other things. Mm -hmm. Because the first thing you see is the existence which has penetrated all. So the first thing you see in the world is God. And then secondly you see other things. Mm -hmm. Because other things just are just a light or a, a shadow. Or when you go to the sea, the first thing you see is water. And secondly you see the waves and the bubbles and the, and the frost and foam. Mm -hmm. Yes. So they come second. So the first thing you see is God. And Rumi um, again and again refers to this fact and Sheikh Shabestar also, Mahmoud Shabestari, says that uh, it, is, it is very foolish to take a candle to show, to show you the sun. And I'm looking for the sun and I want to show God through this, the candle of my arguments. The candle of the reason you want to show God, to prove God. And another important point that, that Rumi says about the unity of God. That there is only one God. Many people come and say, well, we have come to believe that there is only one God. And Rumi says, actually, uh, to the person who has claimed, says, well, it is of no avail to thee while you are a thousand pieces. You are torn to a thousand, thousand pieces. So what is... What avails thee if God is one? You should be one. If you are not one, and you uh, cannot uh, integrate yourself into one, you cannot understand one. So the oneness of God is not just an argument that you bring, an argument philosophically that He is God. Mm. You have to change yourself in order to understand that God is one. Mm. You should uh, concentrate on one. And you should become one. When you are distracted on a thousands and thousands of uh, different things, so you are torn to pieces. How can you say that it doesn't matter whether God is one or two or a hundred? <laughs> I, if I become occupied with a difficulty, with a difficult question, and the answer, the explanation, how shall I be able to give water to the thirsty? Yes. Here, Rumi stops actually the argument of whole and part. Mm. 
and just refers that what I explained. And he no longer, because it is, uh, he has thought that it may uh, just get complicated and he cannot um, say what other things he wants to say. If you are wholly perplexed and in straits, have patience. Patience is the key to joy. Abstain from distracting thoughts. Abstain. Thought is like the lion and the wild ass, and men's hearts are the thickets which they haunt. Yes, actually in Islamic traditional medicine, they believe that uh, uh, the first step for healing and curing is abstaining. You have to abstain. So Rumi says abstain from thinking. Because this pale cast of thought, as Shakespeare says, mm-hmm. and enterprises of great uh, pith and moment, pith and moment occurrence uh, yes, yes, is cyclic or uh, is cyclic or by the pale, pale cast, cast of thought. Of thought yes. yes. So Rumi says, abstain from thinking. Don't think too much. The more you think, the less you get. Because why? Because in other things, thinking is good. But here, thinking is a veil. Because thinking means to bring something in between you and the what, what you want to get. And you should not bring anything between you and God. Even thinking. So thinking in this respect is a veil. So abstain from thinking. Don't think too hard. Don't cogitate your mind. <laughs> Assuredly, abstinence is the first principle of medicine. Abstain and behold the strength of the spirit. A painter made two kinds of pictures, beautiful pictures. Yes, pictures uh, I was reminded. Void of beauty. Uh, sorry, uh, I was reminded that this is a story of abs- uh, abstaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, another story by Rumi that once a patient went to a physician, and then. Uh, he asked him, just take my pulse and see what is wrong with me. He felt his pulse and saw that he was dying. He, it is a lethal disease and uh, it is incurable. But he didn't say anything because he didn't want to uh, get him annoyed and said, the patient said, well, what should I abstain? So the first question, because they make from the physician, is what I should not do. Mm-hmm. What should I abstain? Mm-hmm. The physician said, no abstaining for this disease of yours. Mm-hmm. You can eat whatever you like and you can do whatever you like. No abstaining. And then he was so happy that what a good disease that it doesn't need any abstaining from anything I can do, anything I can... And he said, it is dangerous, it's actually dangerous for you to abstain. Mm-hmm. So he came out and he saw that a Sufi was washing his hand and face uh, and he suddenly had a whim, a desire to slap him on the back. <laughs> and he thought that, well, it is no good, but he, reminded, he was reminded of what the doctor has said that uh, you should do whatever you like because abstaining is no good for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a very funny story. I'll bring it, I will uh, put it in the polycopies next time. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. And uh, it comes to a very beautiful conclusion. Ah. Ah. Right? A painter made two kinds of pictures, beautiful pictures and pictures devoid of beauty. He painted Joseph and fair-formed Huris. He painted ugly Afrits and devils. Both kinds of pictures are evidence of his mastery. Those ugly ones are not evidence of his ugliness. They are evidence of his bounty. He makes the ugly of extreme ugliness. It is invested with all possible uglinesses in order that the perfection of his skill may be displayed and that the denier of his mastery may not be put to shame. Yes, you see, it's very important in Rumi's... Oh, the denier of his master. Of ideology. What is art, first of all? Art is identity. Uh, when you see that, well, this is exactly what it should be, mm. then you feel that it is beautiful. What yes. is beauty? Yes. Beauty is the feeling that it should, that it, it is exactly what it should be. Mm. For example, uh, they show you a picture of the weird sisters in Macbeth, mm. and you look at them and you see, oh, how terrible. What a great artist. It is exactly what they should be. So it's beautiful. Right? Yeah. But if you see them in the street, they are not beautiful. Yeah. But when it comes to the art, mm. it is beautiful. What happens? It's because you, you change your look. Mm. When you see that in the whole world, if you consider the whole world as an exhibition, and you find out that everything is exactly as it should be, so it's a piece of art. Mm. It's a piece of art. Mm. And you enjoy it. Because, uh, for example, Iago in Otello, he is exactly as being created as beautifully and as good as uh, Desdemona, for example. True. Right? So, um, beauty is, is the feeling of identity. And Rumi is explaining, actually, is justifying the ways of God. You know, one of the jobs of poets, great poets, is just to justify the ways of God. Mm -hmm. That is what Shakespeare has done, Rumi has done. Mm -hmm. All They are just making reconciliation between God and people. Mm -hmm. Because people are uh, constantly thinking, how is it that God has sent me here and he doesn't send any message and... You see, he has forgotten about me. Mm. Uh, what is that famous saying on the uh, the Jesus said on the Christ on the on the, the cross? Lord, yes. Lord, Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? Yes, but you have forsaken me. Yeah. Yes. You see, that is the feeling we all have. Mm. So, Rumi particularly constantly reminds you that it is not true. He is every moment he is with you. If you look within, you will find him with you. So, um, the artist who cannot paint a devil is no good artist. Mm -hmm. An artist should be skillful in all sorts of paintings. Mm -hmm. So, God has created Abu Lahab, God has created uh, the, the Iblis, as well as the angels, and the ugly ones, and the devils, and the demons, and, the, and all of them. <laughs> I'll just read that last one again. In order that the perfection of his skill may be displayed and that the denier of his mastery may be put to shame. 
And if he cannot make the ugly, he is deficient in skill, because God is the creator of both the infidel and the faithful. From his point of view, then, both infidelity and faith are bearing witness to him. Both are bowing down in worship. Yes. See, one more point I have to make about this relation of uh, part to whole and part to each other. You see, Rumi emphasizes in many parts, in many passages, that fair is fair, according to the Quran also, fair is fair and foul is foul. Because you are living in the world of multitudes, you have to consider, when you are relating to the world, so you have to consider everything as it is, not as a part of the whole. That's a different view. You have to change your view when you are living in the society, so you have to follow the uh, other rules. And that is the rule that the fair is fair and foul is foul. And if A, then B. If you do this, then this as an outcome is surely for you. And hell is actually, if you do A, then B is the outcome of that. And Rumi several times mentions that hell was created by you, by your own mm, words or by your own actions. Mm. Mm. So, uh, the source of all crime is the idea, the ideology, that foul is fair and fair is foul as the three weird sisters in Macbeth are singing. They are devilish creatures. They say foul is fair, fair is foul. Anyone who wants to do a vicious act should follow this ideology of the weird sisters. So Rumi bewares people of mixing the two realms of unity and multiplicity. When you are in the world of multiplicity, you are dealing with multiple things, so you have to do justice to everything according to what it is, according to its deserves. But when you are thinking of the whole, we are coming back within your heart, you find that he is right. If he is discourteous, he has to be discourteous. And uh, you have to change him if you can. But uh, he has been in such a situation that he cannot be but discourteous. Yeah. So you shouldn't have any uh, grudge against him or uh, blame him within your heart. But at the same time, you should deal with him in a different way than dealing with a courteous person. You should educate him, but at all times you have to love him. That relation of whole to, to, to part creates love. That relation of part to parts creates responsibility. You have you take your love from this, that this whole has created these parts. So they are all related to this, and they're all to be respected, and you love them all, whether good or bad. But when you are relating to this other, you are responsible to this boy, to this uh, poverty, to this oppression. So you have to do your job in the world of multiplicity with love, without any wrath, without anger. Yes? Uh, do we have time? More? Or?
I think we can finish just uh, this last. Um, is there more? This is all on this piece of paper. Yes, that's that, that was finished. Yes. Okay then. So, if there are any questions now. Let me explain um, these two pieces of calligraphy. Um, this one is a poem by Rumi from Masnavi. Marhaba, ey eshq khushsodayma, ey dawaye jumle illathayma. Well done, O love of very good transaction of a very beneficial transaction mm -hmm. love is the best transaction the best trade mm -hmm. the best of trades well done O love mm -hmm. the best of trades mm -hmm. transactions yes. transactions yes mm -hmm. thou art the panacea panacea mm -hmm. the cure all of all our diseases mm -hmm. and this one is, for, is a passage from Shamsa Tabrizi from the master of Rumi that uh, you know people tend to consider the times as holy they say this is a holy day and then congratulation and blessing to you for this day and Shams says it's the other way around you are holy the time has no holiness what is this Saturday or Sunday or the Easter day? You are the holy. So he says, Ayamra as Shoma Mubarak Bad. Congratulations from you to the days. Not from days to you. Ayam mi ayan tabe Shoma Mubarak shavan. The days come so that they get blessing and grace from you. Days come to acquire it from you. Mubarak Shuma'id, you are the blessed, you are the holy. Thank you. And any question? Pardon? Accident. Well, this accident is different. It's a, uh, it's a philosophical term. It doesn't mean the accident which happens, something which just happens in the street. Or we say accidents are caused. Mm. There's a very good sentence. Accidents are caused. This is in traffic. This accident is in contrast with substantial. You see, you call it... Uh, I explained the other day that we have substance and accidents. Uh, for example, the table is a substance. But the side of the table is an accident. Mm. Accident doesn't mean that uh, something comes accidentally or just by chance, fortuitously. But it really but is the same as essence and attributes, it, isn't it? Yes, it's essence and accident. And accident is anything which is not essential. Mm. And uh, that is why it can leave the thing. And the thing is that thing without it. 
while without the essential things the table is for example um, is a body and it has weight and it has uh, volume these are essentials mm -hmm. wherever you take the table it has all these qualities but if it is big or small or put this way around upside down if you put it upside down it is still the table but that accident of being upside down would leave it you put it right again so it's a different uh, terminology how would you Dr. Adani, distinguish the, this terminology of substance and attributes from the terminology of essence and attributes? Well, actually, attribute uh, in one sense is, is, is sort of accident. Mm. God has an essence and some attributes. Attributes is a little bit different from accident because mm -hmm. attributes are manifestations of the essence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But accidents is something which just happens to come on the essence. Mm -hmm. So the substance and essence is the same thing? Then? Substance and essence are the same thing, yes. Mm -hmm. Substance, which is Johar, mm -hmm. or essence also means Johar. Johar and Zot. Johar and or we simply call it Zod. Mm -hmm. But attributes are separate. Mm -hmm. For example, you are a person, suddenly you get angry. Mm -hmm. This state of being angry is <coughs> accidental. Mm -hmm. It means it has just happened to come to you. Mm -hmm. Rumi actually says this man and ma, when you say I, this I is an accident uh -huh. on, on your whole being. Mm -hmm. That, that self, this I, which is yourself, it is not something essential. It is accidental. And it's not an attribute, then? It's not a self No, it is not an attribute. It's just an accident and... Uh, it's an R.S. Yes, it is R.S. Mm. And so you have to get rid of Aras. Mm -hmm. Aras is something which deceives you mm -hmm. because it is there, for example, the sun is shining over this. And you love it, so oh, how shiny it is. But after a moment, it is dark. Mm -hmm. Because it was aras, it wasn't from its zod, it mm -hmm. wasn't from its, uh, its substance, it wasn't from its own being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I said that uh, one of the most important things Rumi emphasizes again and again is that you shouldn't stay on aras. Mm -hmm. Whether it is joy, you are you have a sort of happiness which is aras, it is not essential. Tomorrow you are not happy. So it is, it is not essential, it is aras. But when real happiness comes to you, it is essential, it is a part of you. So if uh, you unveil or remove the veil of this I from yourself and you remove all these aras or accidental attributes, mm -hmm. then you will come to the essential, mm -hmm. and then you will be happy forever, as an, as an essence of your own being, as an essential part of your being. Okay, thank you very much.